0: um maybe we could stand and read from Matthew 19 in verse 27 Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father." or mother, or children, or farms, for my name's sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You may ask Andy to pray. Amen. Um, I want to look at this verse here and preach from Matthew 19 mainly because of what's said in verse 30 uh, when Christ talks about the first and the last. And um, I think it's really an amazing thing. A lot of times uh, this verse, you know, is kind of used in kind of you know, funny little ways, but there's not a lot of meaning assigned to it. You know, you might hear it in the lunch line or something like that. You know, the first will be last. But the thing is, there's really a lot of meaning here. And I think it's really, uh, really helpful for Christians. Jesus is speaking to His disciples. So this is something that we need to hear. um, And uh, it's really relevant. And so we'll look at that. But we'll just kind of go through this section again, 27 to 30. Um, this is what's happening. Peter says to the Lord, after the rich young ruler, this this whole confrontation with him, he comes to Christ wanting to know, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus talks to him, and he tells him certain things, and he tells him, if you leave the world behind and come follow me, you'll have treasures in heaven. But the man doesn't do it, and he turns away from the Lord. Um, he stays with the world. And so Peter asks, Christ a question because Christ said, you know, it's, I mean, it's harder for a rich man to be saved than, than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And so Peter's got somewhat of an honest question. Um, the rich man didn't leave the world behind. And Peter says, well, what about us? Have have we done enough? We've left everything behind and followed you. What, what will there be for us? Christ promised the rich man uh, riches in heaven, spiritual treasure. If you'd follow him. And so Peter's asking, Essentially an honest question, maybe some mixed motives. People usually um, kind of look down on Peter for asking that. What are we going to get for following you? It doesn't sound too good, but in some ways it's, it's important to think about. What, what will there be for us? Um, and Jesus doesn't openly rebuke him. Um, you know, he says some things that maybe there's a gentle rebuke in here. And, um, and we'll look at verse 32. Verse 32. But he gives him an honest answer. He says, well, you who have followed me, uh, verse 28, in the regeneration, that is the new heavens and the new earth, when the earth is recreated, he says the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne and you also shall sit on thrones. So they're going to rule and reign with Christ. Um, specifically, the twelve apostles. And he compares Israel or, um, to the, the twelve tribes. But then he says in verse 29, and this applies to everybody, and everyone, not just the apostles, everyone who's left all of these things behind, whether family or farms or career or whatever it would be, whatever the Lord might cause you to have to sacrifice or give up, he says everybody that leaves that behind will receive many times as much. And in Mark um, and the other Gospels, it makes explicit in this life, as well as in the life to come, you know, eternal life. Uh, We receive so much from the Lord. All the sacrifices we make, really, I mean, almost you could say they're not really sacrifices compared to what we receive from the Lord. It's like the things that we lay down, they're not to be compared with the glory that God gives us uh, in replacing all of that. But then in verse 30, here's where he says it. He, he, He mentions the reward for the Christian. And then he says, but... Many who are first will be last, and the last first. So, what does he mean by that? Um, I think this phrase, for me, when I was studying this, I think it's kind of hard to understand um, because, and not not because in one way it's really simple, but um, because it's a it's got a, a principle that applies in so many different ways. Um, essentially, the principle is you know on the last day when it comes to receiving from the from the lord it's not going to be like you would expect you know you'd you'd see some people that seem to be first but they're not going to be first and you'd see some people you'd think would be last and they're going to be first and uh that's the principle is that you know this surprise on the day of judgment the surprise when it comes to um what we receive from the lord it applies in a lot of different ways one way i think it applies if you want to look in chapter 21, verse 43, is nationally. In 21, the Lord says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God, and he's speaking to the Jews, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people or a nation producing the fruit of it. So the kingdom of God was taken away from the Jews and given to everybody else, the Gentiles. And the Jews, in some ways, as a nation, you'd think come first. In fact, you know, we know that the gospel is preached first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. But um, surprisingly, the the truth is, and Christ knows it, that it's not the Jews that end up first; they end up last. So it applies, and that's one way. It's very clear here. Um, but not just nationally. Another way, the second way, is on an individual basis um, in terms of outward righteousness or you could say self-righteousness. If you look in verse 21-31, he's talking about this parable of the two sons, obedient and disobedient. And he says, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. So on an individual basis, this proves true for a lot of people, um, that they seem to be righteous and godly people on the outside, morally upstanding people, and those aren't the people that get into the kingdom. They're placed last, and the people that seem to be the worst and just the the lowest in terms of morality, openly sinful people, tax collectors and prostitutes, whoever you want to target and say these are the sinful people, a lot of times those are the people that end up being saved and end up being blessed by God and received by God and welcomed by God. So here the principle of God, it applies again. First, last, last, first. Um, and and that's really true. We know that those things are important. Jesus taught on that. Um, but I don't think that that's what he's getting at in Matthew 19. As true as all that is, when he says... Many who are first will be last, and the last first. I think he's talking about something else. Um, those first two things, and we're going to look at two more. first two had to do with believers and unbelievers. You kind of get a surprise, like, oh, so these are the people that are the true Christians, and these people that, whether they're a part of this nation or whether they think they're righteous outwardly, they're not, it has to do with the two categories. But I think he's talking just to Christians. Um, and this, this, I guess, third way you could see how it applies back in chapter 19, verse 30 has to do with um, reward among Christians. And you could even say degrees of reward. And I know that's kind of, you know, controversial sort of, and not everybody believes the same thing about that. In fact, the Bible doesn't really talk a whole lot about it, although it does some. We don't really know what the degrees of reward are really like in the Bible, Um we know a lot of things that people receive when it comes to um, heaven and being with God. Um, you know we're told specific things, but when it comes to you know differentiation, it's not really made clear. it's like all the emphasis is on what everybody has, and I think that's right to to have that but um here he says, many who are first will be last and the last first. I think what he's saying for for Peter and and the rest of the apostles and that specifically what we need to understand is that as Christians, many times we can get a fleshly mindset or a worldly mindset that looks at status or greatness as being what pleases God. And, um, the truth is that's not what pleases God, Uh, what pleases God. And, and, you know, Jesus Christ himself, when he was on the earth, he wasn't parading around as this great person. And, um, you know, making everybody, I don't know, uh, give him some kind of fleshly power or, or kingdom. I mean, he shied away from that. And what what was Christ? He was a servant. And I think that's what he's talking about here. And I think that's what he wants Peter to understand, too, is that you've, what, what God delights in is somebody with a servant's heart. So it's not about status. It's about having a servant's heart. That's what I think he's saying here. <clears throat> um. I think a lot of times we can fall prey to a, to a false mentality that God esteems those who have some kind of recognition or status or seem to be great. Um, when Jesus talks to Peter, he's he's essentially giving him a warning. He tells him that that they're going to be rewarded, but the apostles uh, before the cross they had a problem, and you see it a lot in these chapters. And the problem was they I mean it was like they were squabbling amongst themselves as to who would be the greatest and this is the wider context of this verse, and we're going to look at that that's why I think it it is talking about that um, they wanted they they wanted to be something they wanted to be great um, and Jesus is essentially trying to steer them away from that and, and rebuke them for that um, if you look in uh chapter eighteen verse one. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So who's going to be the greatest? And what does Jesus do? Jesus calls a child to himself and set him before him and said, you need to be like this. (laughs) You need to become like a child. Um, He's correcting their view. In verse 10 of 18, he says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> he's saying these people that you would maybe be tempted to despise or you know, look past or look down on in some way, he said don't do that because they have angels in heaven. Apparently that they're their angels. I don't know if that's like a guardian angel or what. But they're in heaven standing in the presence of God. That's how important these little ones are to God. And so he's saying don't get this idea of exercising authority over people and having this greatness type of mentality. Um, in chapter 19, if you look in verse 13, it says, then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. So the disciples say, get the children out of here. These, I mean, Jesus doesn't have time for kids. He's way too important. And, uh, you know, this is, I mean, you guys got to understand, we, we've we got great things we're doing here, this kingdom that's going to be established. And they were totally off the mark. And I think a big part of it, I mean, you know, we don't want to beat up on the the apostles too much. I mean, they, they hadn't seen the cross yet. You know, when you see the cross, it's like it changes everything. And for them, they were still trying to understand what the kingdom's about. Um, but, man, they fall into this a lot. And Jesus just has to continually rebuke them for it, correct them on it, Um And I think that's why, in verse 30, he gives them this little phrase, something they can hang on to. It's kind of catchy. It's really short. First, last, and the last, first. Um, If you look in chapter 20, verse 21, okay, this is all over the context. James and John, their mother comes to Christ, and she says um, this request. What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. So again, here's the same thing. But Jesus answered, you don't know know what you're asking. And he doesn't say, I don't have a right and left for somebody to sit at. He just says, that's for whoever my father's decided to give that to. I can't just give it out like that. But they were pursuing after position and status and greatness. And it's a trap. Um. In Mark, it says that they were discussing these things as they walked along the way. And when they got to where they were going, Jesus asked them. He apparently wasn't walking with them. He said, what were you guys talking about? And they were talking about who is going to be the greatest. (laughs) It's awful. I mean, that's so uh, shallow. And Jesus just calls them out on it. And he knows it. And it's like he has to really root it out of them. Um, That's what I think he's talking about here. The key verse, I think, is in verse 27 of chapter 20. He looked look down, it says um, in verse 26, it's not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. So he mentions first here. You want to be first, then you've got to be a slave. Um, and I think an even stronger verse in the parallel, if you look in Mark 9, Um, in verse 35 sitting down he called the twelve and said to them if anyone wants to be first he shall be last of all and servant of all ok so that's what I think he's talking about in 1930 when he says many who are first will be last and the last first. he's saying yeah you're going to get rewards but think about this Um, There might be a surprise on the day of judgment if you guys have this attitude that regards status and recognition and not the things of the heart, not service from the heart, um, not being a servant or a slave to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. So that's, I think, the essential meaning. Um, I mentioned four, though. I think there is a a fourth application for this. And this one's kind of strange and mysterious in a way, um, but it does come from the passage here so I thought it's right to talk about it what he goes on to say after this he gives a parable talking about what it's going to be like first and the last if you look at the um, verse 16 of chapter 20 he says it again so the last shall be first and the first last he tells this parable and what's interesting is in the parable it's maybe not quite what you what you would think he tells a parable. Um, not about degrees of reward in one sense, but he tells a, a parable where everybody gets paid the same amount. And and it's about grace. Um, there's a sense in which when you talk about the first being last and the last being first, you're talking about not just a role reversal, but almost like a doing away with roles all together and position altogether. Um, and I think it's in here. I think that's... Jesus mentions it. It's kind of strange that he does. Um, I think... You know, if if I was going to go on to tell a parable, if I was talking about being a servant and how important that is and not trying to be great or not trying to have status, I think I would tell a parable um, a little different. I would tell a parable that would kind of sound like, you know, for the kingdom of heaven is like um, this servant and he, you know, worked from his heart for the Lord or whatever, he probably wouldn't say it like that. But nobody ever noticed him and nobody ever gave him status or recognition. But on the last day, he was moved up to the front of the line and the Lord just showered blessings on him. That's the parable I would tell. But he doesn't tell it like that, which is kind of strange. Um, he tells a parable, just to kind of paraphrase it. He says it's like a vineyard and you have all these people working, these servants. and The, the owner of the vineyard goes out and hires them at different times of the day. And there are some servants he hires at the very beginning. And he promises them, you know, if you work today in my vineyard, I'll pay you a full day's wage. And then there's other people he hires kind of all throughout the day. You know, 9 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. All the way up to where the last people he hires, they only work an hour. And uh, he just says, I'll give you whatever is right at the end of the day. And when it comes time to pay, not only does he pay the people that only worked an hour first, but he pays them just as much he pays them a full day, a full day's wage so he pays them an equal amount and uh the guys that are hired first get mad about that they don't they don't like that um but that's the way the lord is because he's gracious that's kind of an interesting way to tell it here's maybe why i think he does that i think it's good to ask questions sometimes and you know why would he tell a parable about grace and equality if he's talking about degrees of reward and service Um, I think the reason why he does that is because to be a servant, I mean, a true servant of the Lord, um, you can't focus on um, trying to outdo other people. You can't focus on trying to serve more than other people. And so if he told a parable like I probably would have told the parable, that's kind of where your mind would be. You know, I just need to serve the Lord. And even if I don't get any credit for it, just keep serving the Lord, you know, and I'm going to get more reward or whatever. Like thinking about it like that, totally takes you away um, from the heart of i think of really serving god i think this this thing about equality and grace i think that's where if we focus on the equality that we all share as christians we're all going to have eternal life we're all going to have you know fullness of blessing in the presence of the lord when you realize the equality that christians share you know you're not thinking about different levels or statuses within christianity or attaining to some new level you realize you know we're all saved by grace and uh it's all because of the goodness of god you know what do i have what have i done for the lord um that could somehow repay him there's nothing there's nothing we can do to work or earn favor in god's sight it's graciousness um, on his part so i think by focusing on equality and grace that's what empowers people to really be true servants not by focusing on trying to serve or thinking about different degrees of reward, which is why I think the Bible doesn't do it very much. There's only a few places where it really talks about it, and they're pretty uh, brief too. Um, This thing of equality, if you think about all the places that the Bible talks about that, here in the parable, they're paid the same amount. Everybody gets a full, full day's wage. Um... Where else does the Bible talk like that, equality? Well, in a lot of ways. Um, think about one thing we talked about in our um, small group Bible studies. We talked about the priesthood of all believers, at least we did in my group, and uh, that's true. I mean, all, all Christians, when they go to heaven, they're all priests. They all offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving to God, and that's a privilege, and we all share it. Nobody has, nobody's more of a priest than anybody else except for Christ. Um, We're all clothed with Christ's righteousness as a gift, a garment that we wear. Everybody gets that. I mean, if you're a true Christian, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Everybody gets this garment of righteousness. Um, I always think of the verse in Revelation where it talks about those who overcome, I'll give them a white stone with a name written on it that's like their new name and only they know it and the one who gave it to them, the Lord. So it's like this intimate connection with the lord he gives you a new name and it's like just used between you and him and everybody gets a white stone <laughs> it's really great um i think about all the places where the bible talks about seeing god who gets to see god everybody gets to see god it's not just for some christians or super christians every christian gets to see god and i'm so thankful for that that there's no limitation placed on that because I mean, I want to see the Lord. And if there was a limitation placed on it, I know I wouldn't get to see him. But I'm just thankful that's, a, that's, that's grace from God. Every Christian gets to see him. Um, you know, we read in the beginning of the verse that, that the apostles will sit on 12 thrones. Well, um, over in 1 Corinthians, it says that everybody is going to be judging men and angels on the last day. So everybody's ruling and reigning with Christ. That's not just the 12 apostles. That's everybody. There's equality in that. And in Revelation, I read it this morning. Uh, maybe I could find it here. I think it was Revelation three something. Twenty one. It says, He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. That's great. So that's for every everybody sits on the throne with Christ. Um, and the Bible's just full of all of these blessings that are for every Christian. And I think Jesus wants us to think about that. Um, Because, again, it's like when you realize what we all have, you can just, it's so great, you can just throw out trying to strive to reach certain levels. It's like, it's going to be great for everybody. There's not going to be anybody moping around in heaven, you know, just, oh, man. (laughs) It's not like that. Uh, The last day is pictured as um, joy and blessing in the presence of God. Um, And then eternal life, too. Which is what Jesus mentioned in the verse. Everybody, a- anyone who, who leaves the world behind and follows after me receives eternal life. So, again, I think this thing of equality and grace helps us to really be true servants. Um, grace is the reason why we can share this wonderful equality. We didn't earn any of these things. I mean, these things I mentioned righteousness of Christ as a garment this blessing and seeing God, you didn't earn or work for any of that. That's just given as a gift. Um, and and the, maybe we should read it here at the end of the parable in chapter 20. Verse 15, he says, Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous or good? So God is good and He's gracious. And if He wants to give out gifts to people that only worked an hour, He can do that. And... uh we shouldn't have any any problem with that at all. We all receive so much. Okay, so I guess just kind of like a summary statement of this is really the heart of the message in terms of understanding the passage is that um, the first will be last and the last first is referring to how God will most honor those with a servant's heart and that specifically the way you're enabled to to be a true servant is by focusing on um, the blessing that every Christian shares and the fact that it comes by grace um, from God. But um, maybe before getting into kind of the application of some of this, I would just make a clarifying comment. Um, you know, I've said the the term servant's heart, and a lot of times people will say that, and I think it's a good term. And uh, the reason why I like it better than, I would just say service. I, I was tempted to write down when I was kind of going through this, it's not about status, it's about service. But when you say that, service just sounds like, you know, I mean, it's just all just focused on what you do and kind of performance and your ability to, uh, or your capacity to, to serve God or do things for God. And that can really be, that can really get you off track easy. Uh, and that, I think, would just undermine everything. If, so it's like, if, if you hear me saying, you know, to be first, you need to be a servant, don't think like, Man, I've got to do all this stuff, and I'm not doing as much as this person. It has to do with the heart. Um, not so much your ability or your capacity to perform or uh, to do things for the Lord, but where your heart's at. That's why I say servant's heart. And I think um, I think uh, a good example of that or maybe evidence of that is in the Scriptures. Remember in Mark 12? Uh, you've got this widow, and she puts in two copper coins into the temple treasury. And Jesus points her out to his disciples and says, you guys need to pay attention. Look what she's, she's done. She's put in more than everybody else. And it's like, what? She didn't, she didn't put in more than everybody else. She put in two copper coins. What's that? Well, Jesus, I mean, it's like he doesn't look at the external things. He doesn't look at what you have to offer. I mean, does anybody have anything to offer the Lord? No, it's like we, the Lord is not served by humans, human hands as if he needed anything, you know, and if he was hungry, he wouldn't tell you, you know, you can't <laughs> serve the Lord. Um, what, what he's talking about here is where your heart's at. Do you have the heart of a servant? So this widow, even though she's dirt poor and she can't, you know, give a bunch of money and, you know, really advance the kingdom of God by giving a bunch of money, she can't do any of that, but she can give from her heart, and that's what the Lord cares about. Um, And there's a lot of examples like that in the scriptures where it's like if you just look at the external things, you might think this person's really serving the most. But it really depends on where your heart's at and what your motivation is. Um, And I think that's that's really important, especially when we get into the application of some of this. Um, It just seems like you run into that a lot. You know, God doesn't look at the outward things that God looks at the heart. Um, okay. So I guess I would say the application, if this is true, that the first is last and the last is first, how does this work? What, is, what does that mean for us? Well, one, um, beware of being like the apostles here and seeking status and recognition. That's a real trap for Christians. And I... Um, I can't remember how long ago it was. We were teaching the youth Bible study, and uh, we were talking about how it can be a real trap and a real snare to try and, you know, be praised by other people or seen by other people being noticed, you know, for godliness and and love for the Lord. Um, In fact, he says in um, 1929... yeah, he says, if you leave all these things behind and make these sacrifices, you'll be rewarded. But he doesn't just say that. He says, for my name's sake. So not for your name's sake. He says, for my name's sake. And that's really something, too. Um, we don't want to seek status and recognition. I mean, you know, so that what the things we're doing have some kind of mixture to where part of it's for the Lord, but part of it's for our namesake. You know, that really just ruins everything. Um And the disciples were really falling into that, really had to be corrected on that. And so we do too, in in terms of fleeing this thing of status and recognition. A lot of times I'll hear people say, and I've said it too, so I'm not not trying to, you know, um, criticize other people, but a lot of times I'll hear people say, you know, I just want to be known as a person that really, whatever, fill in the blank, you know, really prays or really you know, just went all out for the Lord or whatever. And just think about you want to be known as a person like that. What do you mean? Think about what you're saying. You know, is it, is it so much that, I mean, it's good to think about, you know, I don't want to waste my life. But if the reason why you're thinking like that is that so that after I'm gone, people will remember me as a person that whatever, you know, it's like, don't worry about that um, in terms of how other people see you just serve the Lord (laughs) and just, you know, live out a life of love and have a humble heart. That's what the Lord cares about. I think uh, a good warning: a person you don't want to be like. It seems like that um, sought-out status in the Bible. This guy in Third John, I don't know who he is. His name's Diatrophes or whatever. Said he loved to be first, and so you don't want to be like him. Um, and I guess maybe to kind of make this more real or bring this home, I would say: Can you live? Are you okay? with just living the normal Christian life. What do I mean by that? I say normal. Um, What I mean is, do you have to be somebody great? And if you you do, if that's where your heart's at, why is that? Why do you want to be great um, to gain notice or reputation? You know, it's not necessarily bad if people notice you or write biographies about you. I mean, we love to read biographies. They're wonderful. They're a blessing but, or even a lot of times, I think, you know, biographies or different books, you'll read people's journal, journal accounts. It's like, have you ever written in a journal thinking, who's going to read this someday? <laughs> okay, you're laughing, so you have. And I, I've thought about that too, you know? And um, it's like, can you just live the normal Christian life? And if nobody knows your name, and if you're totally obscure, you know, is that okay? I mean, um, We should just all of our satisfaction all of our springs of joy are found in god and so shouldn't worry about you know the circumstances if 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 the lord please you know is pleased to lift us up as an example and to encourage other people with the way we lived our lives great and if he doesn't (laughs) and if we just totally stay in the shadow you know that's fine too Um, because it's about joy in god and who he is and walking with him and just wanting to serve him because he's been so gracious to you, um, not so much about how other people would see you. And I can remember in high school, a lot of times it seemed like uh, the big thing with me and my friends, we would talk about, you know, do you think do you think that I'm, you know, willing to die for the Lord? Like, would I could I withstand the flames or whatever? Like, we would talk about that. It was this big thing. And I think a lot of times in our mind it was totally unrealistic. And like what we were thinking was, you kind of go out in this blaze of glory, you know, and it's like everybody's, woo. <laughs> And it's just that, I mean, you know where people are coming from when it's like that, but ultimately you've got to get past that and you've got to just be able to walk with the Lord in any circumstances. Um, so I think that's the first thing is don't seek, uh, don't seek to be something great. You know, in 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 serving the Lord, be a true servant with a servant's heart. Another thing I would say, by way of exhortation, is um, don't look down on other people, on other Christians. Um, so this is really something to think about. This is kind of the reverse end of it. You know, you don't lift yourself up, and you don't put people down either. Um, so maybe something to think about is: is there any true Christian that you're looking down on for whatever reason? And there's Every reason under the sun that you could do that, but none of them are justified. Um, so what do I mean by that? Um, a lot of times, what people tend to do, sometimes it's just a personal grudge, and that's just sin, and you need to repent. But a lot of times, what happens is not just looking down on one person, but it's like you've got a whole category of people that it's like they're in this category, and I'm in this category, and I'm up here, and they're down here. And that's just really dangerous to do that. Um, if this person's a true Christian that you're talking about, um, we really need to, I think, be be on guard against any kind of false two-tier, you know, Christianity where it's like here are the spiritual group and here's the non-spiritual group or whatever. You know, these, this is the better group. This is the lower group. And man, that I've seen that a lot. Um, you know, some of this, I guess, just examples that I mentioned, I haven't really been around because of the way the church I grew up in, but... A lot of different ways, you know, a lot of times with the charismatic group, it's like you've got, you know, the Spirit-baptized people, all these miraculous gifts, and then you've got the people with no gifts or no, you know, uh, um, prominent gifts, nothing miraculous. And it's kind of like the haves and the have-nots, I think is the way I've heard Charles say it. And, uh, man, that's a trap because you start to think of yourself as better and these people as lower. Or um, you could talk about, you know, within the... Wesleyan tradition, you've got the people that are perfected in holiness and then the people that are still in sin and just kind of the, the low Christian life. Or, um, you know, the people that are living the crucified life and then the Christians that are living the non-crucified life, however that works. And, uh, but people create these two false categories, and it's really harmful in your relationships with other Christians. And it just breeds a lot of pride, and honestly, no matter what you end up doing in terms of service, there's so much mixed motives with it. I think that's why on the Day of Judgment, people will be surprised, even among Christians, what a lot of just proves to be just chaff and dust and just kind of blows away. And then, and then they'll also be surprised on the other end where maybe you didn't think very much of this person at all, but man, their heart was all out for the Lord, and that's what God looks at um, so you can create these two you know, tiers in terms of putting people down into a lower category, and uh, they're not good. You can do it with theology. And I think the biggest one for me, and uh, I was talking to somebody about this recently, the biggest one for me has been, I grew up Baptist, and it seemed like to me the two tiers that was really there, and I felt the pressure of it all throughout high school and all throughout college, the college I went to, was this thing of ministry. It's like, you know, the people that have surrendered to the ministry, you know, they're up here. And then the people that haven't, well, you know, they're Christians, but they're just not dedicated or whatever. And that's just not the way the Bible talks about it at all. Um, Or, you know, I mean, ministry or missions or anything. So it's like examine your heart and examine, you know, what's my motivation to this? And again, you know, it's not bad. If people, you know, are in the ministry or if someone's a missionary, we love to read about that stuff and we encourage that. Um, but uh, there's a way to do it that's right, and there's a way to do it that's wrong. And you certainly don't want to start looking down on other people at all. You know, we need to have a heart for one another, love for one another. And in college, I just felt it was like awful. You saw it everywhere, and you heard about it all the time, just in statements people that would make. It would just make you cringe. Um, So I think Christ has some good words for us. He says, but many, I say to you, on that day many will be first. Many that are first will be last, and the last first. And I think um, maybe a good antidote to this, if you do feel like, you know, maybe I have been looking down on other people or whatever, just think about... um, In eternity, you're going to be spending eternity with these other Christians. We already mentioned tons of things that, I mean, these are the prominent things in the Bible, and you're all going to have them equally. And you're going to be, you know, mutually rejoicing and praising God together. So it's like, you know, start to cultivate now what you know is going to be the case then. Because if you're a Christian and if they're a Christian, it's not going to be two tears in heaven. I can guarantee you that. You know, you're going to have your arm around the brother or sister, or whatever, praising the Lord together. And that's just, that's a fact. Um, And it's always good to remember that, you know, the verse in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, you know, what do you have that you've not received? And if you have received it, why do you boast as if you haven't received it? Um, It's just a humbling verse because of the grace of God. So that's kind of the, um, I guess, by way of exhortation. You know, don't lift yourself up and don't seek these things and don't put other people down. Um, there's People are going to be surprised on the day of judgment uh, in, in terms of being in the Lord's presence and the Lord blessing his people. In fact, that happens later on in Matthew 25. I just remember, I was thinking about that this morning. You got these people and then and these people actually end up proving to be lost. Um, but they're totally surprised on the day of judgment what it was like. And he doesn't say, okay, the people that, that you know, are the real sheep and that get in, he doesn't say, you know, you know, blessed are you and well done, good and faithful servant, because you had this mega ministry and look how awesome you were and look how much you performed and how much you did for me. It was, you know, you visited this person that was sick or this brother or sister that was in prison. So it's like, again, it's the things of the heart. And that's what we should pursue. And I guess I would just say maybe um, by way of encouragement in terms of application for all of this. um, You know, thinking about the first being last and the last being first, I think should really encourage all of us. Knowing that the Lord looks at the heart and that's, that's what he cares about. Man, that's because some people... Because of circumstances or because of calling or gifting or their setting in life where God has placed them, they are just not going to be recognized as great people. And they're not going to have books written about them. And maybe they're not going to be able to, you know, travel and do evangelism or whatever because of some disability or because, you know, you think of this poor widow, she can't give very much. But again, that doesn't matter to the Lord. What matters is do you have a servant's heart? So there's great encouragement in that. Like if you ever just feel like, man, like I just don't know. I just can't stack up to these other people that seem so awesome, you know. Then don't look at it that way. Be encouraged. The Lord knows about you. He knows um, everything. And he loves you and bless you tremendously. Well, that's pretty much all I had. Um, maybe we could pray and there's actually something else I was thinking about sharing just a little bit too I don't know if that's really against the rules but um, we'll just pray here and ask the Lord's blessing Father we thank you for uh, knowing us and we thank you for caring about us we just pray you would please make our life conform to Christ who is the greatest servant of them all and We want to be like him. We pray you'd renew our mind and our heart. And um, please help us just to love one another. And uh, thank you, God, so much for your grace. And where would we be without your grace? Lord, thank you again for this report about Andrew. We just praise you for that. You're so good. Please be with us and please um, continue to speak to us and help us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I just thought I would share a verse, and this was, I guess, something I was thinking about. Um, You know, I guess the message that I was really wanting, felt like would be good to share here, specifically applies to Christians. But one of my favorite verses, I think, just to share with anybody that doesn't know the Lord, this is in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. And I'll just read it. There's just two verses. It says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I just, I guess I really just want to say, I mean, even. Not up your preaching or whatever, but if anybody doesn't know Christ or hasn't surrendered to Christ, come to Christ, um, you know this verse says, "We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, and I know in some way it's like you know um, I'm nothing great, and the other Christians you know are nothing great, outwardly, but the true spiritual reality is that Christ has set up ambassadors on the earth to represent him, and that verse says. We beg you on behalf of Christ. And um, so it's one thing to think about a person begging. It's another thing to think about Christ begging for people to be reconciled to God. And that's what, you could see it when he came to the earth. You could see his compassion and you could see his love for people. I mean, he would weep because people would turn away. And so please just, if you don't know the Lord and you know you don't know the Lord, um, you know, don't hold off in being reconciled to God. I just... Praise the Lord for that uh, word of testimony this morning. And, um, you know, anybody can come to Christ because of what He's done. He made Him who who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So the work has been done, and you just have to come to Christ. What is coming to Christ? How do you come to Christ? You come to Christ in prayer. You come to Christ by humbling yourself, confessing all your sins, and calling out that He would save you. Um, You know, that He would be your Savior, and that you would give up the world to follow him um that's what the lord's done and he's made it available to everybody and uh i just felt like i didn't want to i guess get out of the pulpit or whatever without saying something about that because it's so true and it's so real and there's so many things in the world that would make you give you a reason or an excuse not to be reconciled to god and that's the biggest mistake um And people make it all the time. There's no reason to hold off. There's no reason to not come to the Lord.